Okay, it's week seven. Welcome back or welcome to Ted and Yogi's Pactual Adventure alongside our producer, Michael Molinari. We are presented on behalf of Believe. Excited to be around for week seven, fellas. It's hard to believe that it is here. We just came off of our third straight game of a sold-out crowd. We might get four in a row this weekend as we head to Seattle. We got UW Arizona with that said. Ted, how you doing on a Tuesday? Hey guys, it's great being with you guys. We had Tucson was wonderful, and I know the result was nothing that Arizona wanted. Arizona football wanted a great credit again to Jed Fish and his team. It's just terrific. I mean, to be there was a ton of fun to see the vibe and the atmosphere. And having been in team sport, mostly baseball for decades, I've seen it happen way too many times. That's the greatest feeling in the world for the visiting team when you first silence the crowd, and then two, you dismiss them. <laughs> And Oregon rang a recess bell about midway through the third quarter and 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 the students all left. I mean, that's just, and that's students. It's who they are. I'm not criticizing anybody. It's just, it's a great feeling as a visiting team. But you know what I was thinking about, guys, when I was on my 5 a.m. drive Saturday morning, or Sunday morning, rather, Sunday morning from uh, Tucson up to Sky Harbor in Phoenix to come home. So we're about halfway through the year. Who's QB1 right now in Bro. this league? Who's QB1? It's a good question. It's I a think. great question. Especially you know, Caleb Williams Saturday again. It was a. It wasn't what happened in Corvallis, but it also wasn't the game he played against Arizona State. You know, so you see what we saw with Bo Nix. You see what we watched with DTR. And Washington hasn't been able to stop anybody the last two weeks, but they've scored a ton of points. So Michael Penix is still doing pretty well. Who's QB one? I'm going DTR. I'm going with experience and consistency, which there's not a lot of. So I'll give that as his X factor. I do want to excuse the students, though, because they had their parents with them in town. So the quicker they got out of that stadium, the more free beer they were going to get. So a little bit. The students were anxious to get dad or mom's checkbook to the bar yeah. after that game. So, so AP, APM was trident hours. Is that what right. you're saying? Exactly. Okay. exactly. Okay. Yeah, seriously. I, I think I'd go DTR as well. I think Bo Nix and him. They are in legitimate conversation for everything that we talk mm -hmm. about at that position. And the other question I have is like, okay, SC ranks seven, UCLA 11, Oregon 12, Utah 20. We're talking about Pac-12 teams ranked in the top 25. By the way, JMU, James Madison, top 25. Congrats to you guys in Syracuse. Go Dukes. 18. There we go. Um, who's the best team? Like who should be ranked the highest? Like, I think it's real conversation. So we're going to get that in a minute. But before we do, as we all know, football is back. And Bet Online remains your number one source for all of your football betting needs this season. You'll find the latest odds, matchup info, player news, and game trends. And as your continued source for all sports wagering info, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, live scores, and giveaways all season long. It's the fastest. It's the easiest way to bet on all of your sports and events like MLB, here we are in the playoffs, MMA, tennis, boxing, even golf, and of course, college football. So head to betonline.ag to join. Receive your 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Please use the promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. So Utah, or excuse me, UCLA and Oregon, they don't have a game time that will start this week, and they got a buy. ASU has a buy. So let's talk about that. Who, who do we think is... Who's the top team? Like who's the best team today as we sit into week seven? Okay, so that, that's always the magic question. All right, how do we measure that? Yeah, I would I would measure on like, what did we just see? 
Okay. Like what? Or, or who's who's who would I want if I had Molinari's mortgage on the line? <laughs> who would I want to play that game? I mean, that's all. This is always that magic question of who's the best, right? Yeah. So I went through this baseball forever. Which pitcher would you take? Who's the best pitcher? Maybe different than which pitcher would you start if you had one game to play for your house? Yeah. In category two, I'm still going with USC. Yeah. I had to play one, one game for Michael's mortgage. It's USC. And I'll take the other LA team in category one because I yeah. think they've proven to be most consistent. I can't wait till we get to late November and my phone starts ringing. You got that South Alabama footage because that's because <laughs> I'm gonna have a lot of friends in television. Yeah, uh, give me a call about what the heck happened there because not a lot of you know not a lot of people probably saw well, it. And, wait a uh, minute, Let, yeah. let's not bury the lead here, guys. Michael is gonna have even a greater connection with Fubo TV when he's promoting the seven day free trial for the USC UCLA game on Pac-12 Network. You know, yes, we're working on that. We're working on that. Don't panic, everybody. We're, we got we got. We got some things up our sleeve. Our programming department has done great this year. Totally. So I, I've been thinking about this yeah. since late Saturday night yeah. of, okay, Utah loses to UCLA. UCLA, I think, is playing the best football right now based on who their competition's been. I think Oregon, since Georgia, just continues to grow. Like that offensive line, I mean, last five years, I can't think of a better one in our league that we've seen consistently. I mean, I, I think they're so talented. And then I look at Utah and I say, well, they're not out of it. They can still find a way to Vegas. They're out of the playoff, but they still play SC this weekend. We'll get into that game. And then week 11, they go to Eugene. Like they still have control over if they can end up in the title game again or not. Right. Like I just kept going back and forth. And for UCLA, I kept coming back to the same thought, which was if they had to go play Ohio State or whatever SEC team gets a pass. Um, it will automatically get to the playoff. Like, how would they do? And I go back to coaching. I go back to playing. I go to back to this defensive front that I you, you can't argue with what you saw. You know, it's but they haven't done it forever, right? In the first three games, they weren't stopping the run necessarily. Well, week two is whatever, but you get the point. And, and I just kept having this debate within myself of, I don't know who I'd rank higher among those three teams. Yeah, I mean, UCLA gets a, a big boost from what they did Saturday. There's no argument about that. Here's my thing. Uh, Oregon has won in Pullman against a tough crowd, and they just won against a sellout crowd in Tucson. USC won in Corvallis against a fabulous crowd. UCLA hasn't really... They played one road game, and that was in Boulder, so that doesn't really register yet. That'll change, of course, when they get to Hudson. But that, to me, is the measuring stick right now. They still haven't proven it to me on the road. Yeah. And again, I will piggyback what we said last week. The scheduling thing this year shows up. Just to remind our listeners, SC goes to Utah. Then they go to Arizona and they go to UCLA. So they leave California once the rest of the season after this weekend. UCLA, tell you reference, Autzen, they go to ASU, which might be on a three-game winning streak by then. And that place will be crazy for that. Other than that, they just go to Cal. And then you look at Oregon and their remaining road games at Colorado and then what was formerly known as the Civil War against Oregon State. So I don't think it's like it, it, it's it's noteworthy, I think, as we project it out. Which I don't know, it's interesting you come back to the question like who's the best team? And then I wonder, OK, let's just go real dramatic for a second. Let's just say Oregon wins out. 
And let's just say Georgia loses in the SEC title game. What's the argument? Like one lost Pac-12 yeah. champ in who hasn't lost since opening. You know, like it'll be. If if there's a one loss Pac-12 champ, the way this conference played September, the way they've been, I think that's, I mean, it would be to me, I, depends who we're talking about in the conversation with, yeah. but it would be very difficult to eliminate to me a one loss Pac-12 champion the way the top of this league has played this year. I mean, look, we can all dream. So I'm sure they're doing this uh, in in so in Soki where you guys are in SoCal. The dream would be USA and UCLA meet as undefeated teams. That would be the dream, right? Be crazy. Oh God, that would that would be the greatest for the Pac-12 as a football conference as a whole would be the best thing that would happen in years. If that's the case, and I know other schools would be losing, I'm just saying. Um but one a one-loss team and so was for example washington had a devastating loss this past saturday because their schedule is favorable for them yeah. but now they have two conference losses it's virtually i think it's going to be a long shot for them to even be able to make vegas as a two shot or as, rather as a two loss uh team but utah still as you said utah still alive for the vegas right yeah. one loss they have their home field this weekend in a massive game so they're still in it and uh and I'm just, I mean, everything, of course, is to me on the UCLA side, as good as it's been, everything comes down to, uh, you know, going up to Autzen and please, national world, Chip Kelly going back to Oregon, overdone with multiple times. This is about the kids. Talk about the teams. It's not about the coaches. And, um, and by the way, I want to say something because we're referencing UCLA here, which I think was really watching the game as we were able to do Saturday before our game in Tucson. We were able to watch a lot of the UCLA game. And it's a conversation point that tips to a lot of things we've talked about. UCLA's defense Saturday, I hadn't seen a defense play like that. They gave up some points, I understand, but the last seven was a pick six. But that defense was making plays and playing in a manner we haven't seen a UCLA defense in years. And why does that matter? We, I, we collectively, I have had multiple conversations with Chip Kelly over the years, both in the NFL for a year and at UCLA, about coaches getting fired, coaching changes, coaches leaving teams uh, before the season ends to take a new job. And Chip Kelly, on the loyalty meter of 1 to 10, Chip Kelly's a 10 when it comes to loyalty. I know without even asking him specifically, because I haven't, but I know how he had to feel about making his change at D.C. for this year. And Jerry Azanaro had been with him from Oregon to Philadelphia to San Francisco to UCLA. Making that change had to be hard. The, the results are there for everybody to see. The results are there for everybody to see. And it's a conversation that goes on around a lot of schools, and it's going on around David Shaw at Stanford right now. It's a very hard thing to do in this business. But then you turn around and you just call it the way you see it. Look what's happened with UCLA's defense this year. And that's a huge reason why they're standing where they are right now. I would agree with you. Definitely a hard decision for him. And uh, it helps when you make a hard decision and it works out like it has. So I, their defense is completely different than what we've seen over the last three, three, four years. It's just a different yeah. defense. I totally agree. It was interesting watching uh, Coach Kelly's post-game press conference. I don't know if you guys saw it, mm -hmm. but he had some great lines, which wouldn't surprise either of you. But he said, uh, he was asked about like Regency bias around his quarterback DTR. 
meaning Caleb Williams, Heisman candidate since day one. Dorian's been there for five years. And he was asked, is this the best game that Dorian's ever played? And he kind of chuckled and he goes, were you at the Coliseum last year? Yeah. You know, and he kind of went down the list of games that he's had. And I say that for our annual soapbox moment presented by Ted and Michael's inspiration here. Um, He threw 304 passes in high school. He only started as a senior. He played wide receiver as a junior. He came in in week two and started at Oklahoma as a true freshman. And if you go back and stop after halftime of the Colorado game in 2020, you see him not playing up and down football, right? Freshman year, up and down. Sophomore year, up and down. First half of first game of the pandemic year, up and down. Bunch of turnovers. 68 touchdowns to 12 interceptions. Mm -hmm. Like, you just can't argue. Like, this dude is just – he's – He's not the guy that I think it's who's had a reputation of the up and down. That's not who he's been over the last two and a half years. So this year he's completing 75% of his passes, Ted. I knew you were going there. Like, I just think that there's something to what Chip said is my favorite line. He goes, we pride ourselves on being the most prepared and least distracted team. And I think that's what they are. And I get it. Chip Kelly's not going to market and he's not going to be a social media. Like he's not into that. But he's preached that to his players, and I think they've all kind of absorbed his mindset. And you see them utilizing that word mudita, which is uh, the art of sympathetic joy. It's a Buddhist word that they've implemented in the UCLA locker room over the last two years. And you watch his team celebrating together. Like I feel like they're all in on Chip's way, which is much different than a lot of ways, I think, around the country in this era of football. Yeah. So I'm thinking back on the DTR. Fresno State game last year, right? Jake Hayner, of course, at the headlines, all of his, you know, his Roy Hobbs moments and everything. DTR took UCLA down the field. How many times in the second half to score, right? The fact that UCLA lost that game was because their defense wasn't up to it against Jake Hayner, not DTR. Then what happened the next week? They go to Stanford and they play a Stanford team that was rolling that had just beaten Oregon. Um, I think it was, had they beaten Oregon? Yeah, in overtime. Already, yeah. right. And DTR's hurting, and he wills his team to win on the field that day, right? Wills it. We, we, we thought several times he was knocked out of the game, wasn't coming back. So those are the things that tend to get lost, right, in the conversation. And a lot of it, I think, is because UCLA's defense, even last year, was just not up to grade level. It just wasn't. Now you have a defense that can play a little bit, can make some plays, and suddenly DTR's play itself shines. Because you're winning 40 to 30 instead of losing 48 to 42. Yeah. Amen. Yo, you just did a name drop or uh, you just did a uh, soapbox. So I want to do a name drop. I got to get this in. But so because Scott Barkin, I can't get enough football as we got three hours of sleep in Tucson. We land and head over to the Rams game yesterday and or on uh, Sunday. And we brought our daughters. So let's bring your daughters to the Rams, Rams game, courtesy of J.B. Long. So we got there, we sit down, we uh, the high end zone seats, which are the uh, basically right behind one of the goalposts, which are quite narrow, uh, far more narrow goalposts than the college game. That was one thing that struck me. SoFi Stadium is unbelievable. But of course, celebrity sightings. So every time between they're, they're putting people up, Magic Johnson, John Legend, one of the Kardashians who just got booed out of the place, uh, Sarah <laughs> the Entertainer. And then I look to my left, someone's coming in. 
And it's Jake Bobo and his dad who sit down right next to Scott Barkley on the other end. So I wave. We had talked to him earlier in the year. And uh, I didn't get a chance to talk to him. They only stayed for like 10 minutes. I think they wanted to move around a little bit. He was a little tight in those seats. But uh, Barky talked to him. He's like, what are you doing here? And he, first of all, he's excited. We recognize him. Second of all, he's like, I'm just here to watch Cup. I'm just here to watch Cup. I'm just watching Cup this whole time. So anyway. Thank you. You have a big win. You come to a game. And what does he do? He just studies maybe the best in the game right now. So that was that was yeah. really cool to see. Well, I'm guessing there could have been a – I'm just guessing there could have been a hook there because JB's partner – on Rams broadcast is Maurice Jones Drew. Yeah, might have been MJD seats there. It could have that been. might have been. Bruin, take long. Care Thank you again. Mm -hmm. That was awesome. <laughs> I love that. All right, so we're going to talk a lot about UCLA and Oregon next week. Let's get to the game of the week. We circled it all in the preseason. Utah, five o'clock. We know what Rice Cycles is at night. We know what Utah is at night. Seventy plus straight sellouts. It'll be rocking. The defensive line, they got moved. You know, Kyle said it's the most physical team he's ever seen at UCLA. I think we'd all agree with that on both lines of scrimmage. I don't know a Utah team to to lose two conference games in a row. Probably been a bunch of years since that's happened. And in comes SC, Ted, as you referenced earlier. They haven't looked sharp. They've looked opportunistic. The effort is off the charts. Um, the want to, the will, like Travis Dye is playing like one of the top two backs in the league. He and Charbonnet, right? Uh, Jordan Addison left the game. Shane Lee didn't play in the game. What do we think about this game? Mike, Michael, I'll start with you. I go back to when we met with Kyle Whittingham a few weeks back. And he's like, Pac-12, we're all, we're all so good. The middle's great, the top. But we end up cannibalizing ourselves. And we'll now Utah go from the cannibalized to the cannibalizer in a week. And I think that's... That just seems like typical Utah plus you're on the road versus at home. So I just, I just got to think Utah had incredible motivation. Now they have even more coming into this game and that place is going to be crazy. And I just, I, we saw USC handle the environment up in Corvallis a few weeks back. Uh, I think it's going to be an incredible challenge for them to handle the environment. And I also think the pass game's got to get going. That's the, that's the key. Can USC get their pass game going again? And can the defense continue to get these takeaways? I think those are the two big questions. And if both of those things can happen, I think USC's got a chance, but I like Utah. Hmm. Well, I'm thinking what, what happened when we were in Corvallis and then what happened for USC this past Saturday at the Coliseum when Caleb Williams wasn't as sharp. Addison left, he did come back, thankfully, for USC, but left the game briefly. Travis Dye goes for, a, what, a buck 40? Yeah. Travis Dye has been unbelievable. This guy's going to end up a four, gonna end up as a 4,000-plus career rusher. And what did you just say, Yogi? Utah's defensive line got moved? Ooh. Uh, that, to me, is that to me is the key. Then yeah. Utah has to try to have Travis Dye go for 70 instead of a buck 40. And then the other thing that I wondered, Yogi, because we were there two weeks ago, they were very open saying, hey, our offense was designed around Brant Keithy. And I'm watching Saturday and Rising is running a lot, a lot. Natavian Thomas ran more and ran more effectively than he had this year. Still wasn't quite the back of last year, but was better. But Rising's running a lot. And I'm wondering about that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um Agree with Ted yeah. and disagree with me? Is that what you're saying? 
Well, I, part of me, like, (laughs) like I I went back and looked at Utah, right? And Mika Tafua, like we always talk about Devin Lloyd, but like the Mika Tafua factor and him no longer being there as an edge rusher, I think is felt like you're not seeing like a real game wrecker. Nate Orchard, remember him? Yeah, Yeah, Nate Orchard. kind of guy, yeah. Yeah, Hunter Dimmick. Like you can go down the list for years, like – they have guys that I they think can be them. Like Junior Tafuna is that guy inside. inside. Like he's a real inside guy. But who's the edge guy? And in every game, Caleb Williams. So I keep building this reel over here on my little huddle platform of him escaping. I am over like 30 plays now of him yeah. escaping being tackled. And I just think there's something there. And Michael, your nails, like the passing game has to get going. And what will Utah do? Will they play man coverage all game long? I don't know. Like, didn't really work against UCLA. Like, you look at that long touchdown to Logan Lloyd, uh, in my eyes at least, uh, to Travis Broughton, just it was just a bust. He didn't run with him, right? So you've got you you can't miss against SC. Mm-hmm. You just can't miss. And I just wonder the one thing I think SC's done their last two games while they haven't been pretty is they just kind of they just hang longer, and then they score one, and then they get you. Their touchdown to Mario Williams busted coverage. Like they're just gonna get one and that to me is where like i want to believe in utah i i want to believe that they're the best team in the league and they looked apart physically but when you watch their games oregon state moved the ball on them opportunistic three turnovers ucla moved the ball on them and to ted's point with cam rising like there's a dialogue i'd put cam rising top three quarterbacks right now because everything is on him the way he's playing like he's making good decisions he's completing the ball but he just doesn't have the horse anymore in brant keithy like he's doing everything they can. Mm-hmm. So unless Utah creates one or two turnovers, I don't know if they can hang. And they remind me, I hate to say it, but they remind me of like Utah's 2018, 2019 teams. More 2018 than 2019 where you're like, they're not explosive. They're not yeah. getting easy touchdowns. And that's why. I like Phillips see- is their most explosive player right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Back, another back-to-back pick six, as you said, like I, the defense That's is missing call. the vets, and the offense is missing some explosive. Hopefully, Solomon Enos comes back and play again last weekend. Uh, like I think it'll be back and forth, and if it's tight, I give Utah the edge because it's at home. But I think SC is going to lean on that Oregon State experience that we witnessed, and I'm really curious to see if their stars rise up when the lights are as bright as they'll ever be in the regular season for SC until they get to UCLA and Notre Dame the last two weeks of the season. Well, let me say one thing so I can walk the strand in peace this week. Um, USC has proven that even when they don't have their A game, they can win, which is what great teams do. And be that from Caleb Williams or be that from the defense or be that from, I'm not just pointing at one person, but the, as a team, even when they're not playing their best, they've won every game. And that that's impressive. And yeah. I think that's, if anything is going to get them through uh, the scene that will be happening in Salt Lake City, that will be it. Okay, so a scene. Let's talk about a scene. Uh, I think we've seen the best play of the year, as we referenced, Caleb Tamario, Oregon State. Rivaling that will be Treshawn Harrison against Stanford. Stanford goes to Notre Dame. We get Stanford the next week against Arizona State. Um, Washington State goes to Oregon State feels like a must win for either one of those teams, right? Like just where the season has gone and the teams they've played, right? Go back to scheduling. Wazoo's played Oregon and SC, Oregon State played SC and Utah. Uh, but what did you guys think? Like, were you 
we watching that real in real time somewhere the aloft trident like what was your reaction because I, I couldn't believe that well, I looked, ted yeah. and i were standing right next to each other but go ahead ted well no yeah we were watching it with, with the sound down obviously but no no it was just good i mean it's the ultimate gut punch i mean my god you just i mean look um these are the things that coaches have to live with david shaw has to live with a decision that I live here in the area has not gone over very well at all, which was bringing in QB three to run a Jack Coletto like play where you needed a first down to win the game. And, and that that's, you know, that's the risk. And I know David, I listened to David after the game. He said, there's a play we felt very comfortable with. So assuming it was a play they had practiced and developed again, I'm going to quote my dear darling friend, Don McLean time and score. <sighs> and uh, it's hard. Look, look for Oregon State. It's it's it is you know in, on the football scale, it's a miraculous win, and it does a huge thing for their season to give them a shot. Hey, look, if they can hold home field against the Cougs, you have five wins by mid October. That's that's great. And for Stanford, man, what a what an awful feeling because you know how long it's going to take those kids to get over that, and they got to get on a plane Thursday and fly to South Bend, and that's just that's that's not fun. But I, I want to just say one more thing about this, what it means for Stanford in going through this long, now miserable, they were very competitive in this game. Their offense looked like it had some life, which was all steps in the right direction. But it goes back to this, this thing I talked about with loyalty, which is um, I had a conversation last year with a hall of famer, John Lynch. And John Lynch said, you know, the, the, the coaching job that has jumped out to me in recent years in college football is Brian Kelly at Notre Dame. I'm, of course, now I've perks my ears. I'm going, what are you talking about? He had a four and eight year. Oh, yeah. And by the way, that was the only NFL quarterback he's ever, he ever had, Kelly at Notre Dame. Ian Book is scuffling to stay in the round, but, but basically Deshaun Kaiser was his one NFL quarterback. He went four and eight. And he said, Brian Kelly changed after that year. He said he hired new coordinators, gave up you know, offloaded responsibilities, let the coordinators have more autonomy. And they've won, they won 10 games every year since up until the time he left this year to go to LSU. So the fact that that register with John Lynch said something. So it goes back to the question about when you've had a lot of run and you've had a lot of success and certainly Stanford has had that, but now you're the, the word trajectory gets used a lot. Where is the trajectory going? You know, at some point leadership, means right you have to decide can is this the trajectory how do we change it right and and that's the word i think that's what john lynch was saying to me was that brian kelly was willing to do that and it was fascinating to me to hear that from him can i talk about leadership for a second because we haven't thanked jed fish and i wanted to but the leadership he showed when the team was down and obviously out of it and we he wore a mic for us all game and we were able to show some of that. And it's easy to be a good leader when things are going right, but true leadership is how you act when things are not going so well. And uh, I thought it was great that he allowed us to wear that mic. And I thought it was great that we were able to bring that out and show people what kind of leader Jed is when things aren't going so right. And obviously that's long-term going to lead to something great. And I've already, they've, they've started that train. And secondly, watching with the sound down, 
we know what code that is for. <laughs> That's from the, the Aloff bar is what that means, everybody, just in case you I can't know. interrupt my rosaries. I'm sorry. Not even for football. <laughs> I love that. All right. So we're going to Seattle. Uh, real quick, before we get to Michael's Humanity Moment of the Week. Uh, I, I love this game, guys, for a bunch of reasons. One, we haven't been to Seattle, much like it was Utah, since 2019. It's been a long time since we've been to Husky Stadium. It's homecoming. Anticipate a packed house, student section, the whole nine yards. UW's balling at home, struggled the last two weeks on the road. But they're secondary. They're playing a lot of guys in the back end. And we spent last week all talking about the Arizona wideouts. And they struggled. Jane Delora played probably his worst game of the season. He was off, in my opinion, the whole game. Um, a lot of that had to do with Oregon's defense and what they did to him. But I love that matchup here. Strength on weakness to a degree. Like, can Arizona get going? Now, the other side, Michael Penix Jr., two weeks ago, was a Heisman candidate. Uh, he comes off a scary injury. Uh, the leader of this team, we'll, we'll make sure we connect with him prior to the game on Saturday afternoon. But I, I'm excited to to get up there and be around Kalen and his staff and his program and a game that I, I think could go either way, fellas. I, I think it'll be, a, I hope, as I always hope as a television producer, it's the game is decided on the last play with the home team winning and the fans storming the field. That's what we always hope for. But I think a close competitive game, high scoring, I think uh, hopefully Arizona learned a little bit from last week watching the tape and, I think it's funny. We showed in our open guys making incredible catches, but that could mean that maybe the ball's a little bit off. So I think if, if I, we know Jaden can really, I, we know he can play better and hopefully we'll uh, this week coming up and we'll have a close competitive game, but I already looked at the weather. It's supposed to be 75 degrees. Professor Schmelzley, Ashley and company will be there. Our studio team will be on site. So it's setting up for a really, really fun weekend. You're telling me I have to pack my sunblock for Seattle in pack October? Pack your sunblock. That's Ooh, what I'm telling you. Wow. Adam Gordon, we'll see him as well, our old friend. So what, what a weekend it's going to be. Our official sommelier. Um, so here's the deal. We have we were talking about who's the best team in the conference, right? Best team has to be a team that's on both sides of the ball. That's why I made a point about the UCLA defense. We're going to see Saturday two teams right now that are one-sided teams. Arizona and Washington just are. They're offensive teams. Both teams' defenses are struggling. Washington's defense was really struggled against Arizona State. So, yeah, you have that that augurs to be a close game. Home field should tilt some things in the way of the Huskies. And by the way, we I asked I started this by saying who's QB one. I'm going to tell you who QB one was last Saturday. Trenton Bourget. Mm -hmm. How do you not love ball, Yogi? When you watch a guy, we we spent time a year ago talking to him. I mean, the guy's a walk-on. Let's just call it. He's a walk-on. And he played like QB1 for, what, a, a half plus half a quarter, two and a half quarters. He took Arizona State downfield how many times? Great. I mean, it's I was, again, it's that moment where you can't help but smile. I don't care who you're rooting for. When you see a kid do that, that's what makes college football great. So let me, oh, go ahead, Michael. I was just saying that game was so good. I actually stopped showing you my bag full yeah. of elements in pre-production to watch, to stop for every play. To, or here's another big play. So Trenton, when you're ready, I owe you a bottle of wine for that. <laughs> Amen. When Amen. You're I think you're 21. <laughs> yeah. So check this story out for Trenton, a little insider. Uh, so I was talking to Ashley Adamson after the game and she did the post-game show from Sun Devil Stadium. They bring on a bunch of players, but Trenton Borgay is there with Elijah Badger. Okay. 
play pretty well as well. And a lot, they ask Elijah a question. He's holding the microphone really low. And Trenton is looking at the cameras and he waits for the camera to cut back to Ashley. Then he goes to Trenton, lifts his mic up, and he winks at Ashley. Like, I got you. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Rivaling Coletto on the set. That's pretty good. That was so good. So, yeah, I, I love that. And I'll just say it one more time. Uh, a, it's much more of a challenge to earn a scholarship in college than mm -hmm. it is in high school. We've seen walk-ons. We've talked about them. Tanner McLaughlin, tight end at Arizona. We showed that footage in our ball game when he was awarded his scholarship. And two, seven new quarterbacks hit the league this year from the portal. Ten of the 12 quarterbacks who start in this league are started at other schools. Two backup quarterbacks got wins. So to those backups, I hope you got inspired by that because I think the backups live in a world sometimes where it's like, well, you're going to bring in another guy anyway. Yeah, they're gonna bring another guy anyway. So Ty Thompson, we saw him. Um, I loved how we got to talk about Ty. Like all those backups, keep working because who knows how the season will shake out. If, look, heck, we looked at uh, Dale Morse completed his one pass when he got in. Looked pretty good on the one play when he <laughs> yeah. came in. So all right. So with that said, we have an amazing weekend uh, ahead of us. Before that, we have an amazing humanity moment of the week. Michael, take it away, brother. Old Yogi, as you know, last Wednesday was Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. I'm sure every devout Jewish person was at temple or spent the day reflecting with loved ones. But do you know where it seemed like every Christian, Buddhist, Muslim, Hindu, atheist, and agnostic were that day? That's right, Disneyland. The public schools were off and everyone had the same idea. It was packed. Um, as a freelancer, Ted is another word describing my work category. I work for others besides the Pact Hold Network including ABC and ESPN, who are owned by Disney, as some of you know. Uh, one benefit is free entrance passes for myself and family to Disneyland, which is about 45 minutes from my home here in Southern California. Both of my daughters have probably been at least 30 plus times. So even as children, their visits have already become nostalgic for them, which is bizarre for a 18 year old kid. So uh, technically, Wednesday's visit was the last as a child for my older daughter, Kate. She turned 18 on Thursday, and we were there for part of her birthday celebration. The long lines and frantic crowd navigation did not take away from the valuable and precious connection time for our family. But deep in my subconscious, there was a little trepidation because the when I turn 18 pledges and proclamations made during some heated debates seemed, although still reassuringly unlikely, frighteningly imminent, and a little bit possible. We won't get into the specifics, but teenagers are like politicians. At times they will say, threaten and promise things in order to gain a little bit of power. So Thursday morning comes, this is the day she turns 18. I'm downstairs and I hear Kate walking down the steps. Will she be carrying a suitcase or will there be an announcement that will alter the future course of our relationship? The best way to describe how I was feeling was just over 23 years ago, 11.59 p.m. on New Year's Eve, 1999, or Y2K, as some of you will have to look up. In a nutshell, due to the possibility computers would think it was 1900 rather than 2000, there was a tiny chance that something catastrophic was going to happen. But either way, I'd know in less than a minute. I'm happy to say both moments turned out exactly the same. Nothing, burgers. Kate said, good morning. I had a great time at Disneyland yesterday. And I said, happy birthday, Kate. Mm -hmm. I left the 18th out just to be safe.
<laughs> that is awesome. I I could see it. I could see the stairwell. You know. <laughs> yes, it was. Oh, by the way, an update. From the time I wrote this till now, Kate will be starting her first job this evening at the Gelatos, the Gelato uh, place down in downtown Manhattan Beach. So if you're in Manhattan Beach, stop by the Gelato place and say hi to my daughter Kate. Okay, so Ted, we're both inspired. Bring your grandkids. I'm going to bring my kids 30 times to that gelato spot, Molinari tab, and let's go. Get, let's get <laughs> nostalgic. Have you yeah. seen what it costs for a scoop of gelato in Delta? It's not my tab. I can't <laughs> afford that. <laughs> Michael, you do sign autographs while you walk the strand, don't you? If people I, ask you, I just want to make sure. I, I will. If the if other that ever happens, I will. Oh, that's so good. All right. Thanks for joining us. We are presented by Bet Online. We appreciate the time, support, share it. And it's hard to believe we're at the midway point. We'll see you at Husky Stadium. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.